We are currently live, it seems. So sayeth the button there over on the top left corner. Live. Well, that's a good thing. It's good to be alive. Hmm? Isn't that a blessing? Hey, listen. Many folks, many a great souls, did not wake up this morning like you and I. So, uh... We best count our blessings. Let me just share this link here, far and wide. By all means, do the same if you want to on your personal profiles, groups, pages, wherever, on social media that you may roam. And that'll help us uh, kind of find an audience that might want to participate and learn along with us in this here Tuesday evening scripture session, if you will. Right? Huh? That sounds good. So I'm just going to share this over on, on my page over at Added Souls. There we go. Live streaming. And let us share that there and see what happens over there. And I'll share it also on my personal profile. We're going to get into it. We're just giving, you know, Facebook a few minutes to send off the notifications and everyone just get nested in and comforted into comfortables. And uh, we'll be uh, going into Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. We're going to find some, uh, some interesting uh, information over there. So I hope you'll stick around. A uh, privilege, very honored to be here in this... Oakleaf Digital Bible Study Group on Facebook. It is our brother Andre Moore's group and his gospel efforts. And um, very uh, joyful to have been extended the opportunity once again to share some scriptures with you this evening. Okay, personal profile, live. Live streaming. Boom. Oh, okay. Share that over there. We'll see what's going to happen. You know, we kind of got to do the legwork when it comes to these live streaming uh, sessions and our efforts to go live on Facebook and capture an interactive audience that is seeking to have the same interest as you and I, which is to look into the finer things in life, the most peculiar, set-apart, wholly different things in life that are most important, soul-seeking kind of material that allows us the education that is necessary regarding eternal affairs, things of the eternal realm, the forevermore, the next life. Because this whole live it up now, because this is the only life we have, eh, don't, don't be so quick to believe that one. Uh, there's another life coming, and we want to get things ready for that life. Okay, there. I think it's shared, and I think we got a few minutes in. Hopefully, uh, you got your seatbelts on, you know, your helmet and everything. <laughs> so, in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37 is going to be the section of Scripture we're going to be reading. And, uh, as you can see, I got my Bible over here. It's fallen apart. It's, it's quite thin, isn't it? It's because all the pages have fallen out, but I can't get rid of it. I got all kinds of Bibles. I got all kinds of different translations. I got all kinds of Bibles in my office here, but uh, I keep going back to this one because it has all my notes in there. 
it has all my notes in there, so it's uh, leafy, leaves everywhere. And please do not be uh, thrown off by the look here. You know, I used to be a Gentile before <laughs> choosing to endeavor the realm of Christianity and learn about a man named Jesus, who apparently had died for me while I was hostile towards him. And hey, listen, I needed to know about a man who died for me while I was his enemy. That's some kind of love I had never experienced, some kind of love I was, I don't know, ignorant upon. So that's what started my journey there way back when. And here we are today. So I do appreciate your kind attention. Please stick around as we go into the text. Isn't that good? Prior to verses 24 through 37, we have, of course, verses 1 through 23. Now, I spoke upon those verses over on my channel called Added Souls, naturally, or spiritually speaking, Added Souls on Rumble.com. I have a channel there called Added Souls on Rumble.com, and uh, that's where I shared that section there, I think, this past, um, uh, well, yesterday. Right? Yeah, we're Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, yesterday, Monday. Anywho, so in chapter 7, verses 1 through verse 23, giving us the context and the foundation of the things we are going to be reading fall, uh, uh, moving forward, verses 24 through 37, of course, the interaction between religious leaders and Jesus, as always, recorded in all the Gospels, these individuals, they just can't allow what is good and true to prevail without a fight, without opposition, without persecution. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, they like to gather around Jesus and uh, cause some problems. These individuals, these kinds, you know, descriptively so through the text, are known as hypocrites, self-righteous, prideful. They are guilty of the very things they project upon the innocent. And Jesus, a great many times, had to come face to face with these individuals and uh, deal with them in various ways that would educate, of course, those who were humble enough to seek the truth, humble enough to see what was taking place and to hear the information. And in this here recorded account, witnessed, of course, the information rightly handled, we have, well, the Pharisees all up in arms and offended because, well, Jesus and his disciples were not keeping the traditions of the elders. It had become law. These kinds, they know how to create law out of thin air and bind that law and find you and I guilty of that law. That's what they do. And they know how to do it. They're scholars. They know the law. They were born and raised in the law to read, write, recite, learn, educate, meditate, teach, preach, they know the law, and we trust them, don't we? Because we, you and I, we just common folk. So we got to trust these religious leaders here. And these, of course, came to Jesus with offense. Hey, why don't you and your disciples, why don't they do this, that, and the other, of course, the washing of the hands, cups, <laughs> nothing's greatly changed, has it, even in our current age. We have brethren who seem to find more 
laws to be bound regarding cups and pitchers and pots and hands and all that kind of stuff than actually remaining focused on the doctrine of Christ. But anyway, another uh, excursion for another day. So here, again, they're trying to bind something. Jesus is like, listen, you're trying to remove yourself from Gentile contamination. Well, the plan of God always had the Gentile mind involved. They, God wanted the Gentile to be of course, within the fold of believers, that did not take place. And a great many times, the, the Jews were not the example. <laughs> they were not the example to, they should have been, right, to the Gentile. They acted just like the Gentile in very various ways, it seems. So there's some interaction taking place, of course, and they were trying to find Jesus guilty of breaking uh, a law that they thought was they had created as doctrinal tradition. Like, you need to do this, if not, you're damned kind of stuff. And we do this this way, and all the Jews were doing it that way, and why don't you do it that way? And Jesus is like, I'm, <laughs> you're binding a law on me and trying to find me guilty while you yourself, with that big log sticking out of your forehead you know, creating splinters and everybody else. You're so blind, you can't even see it. What can I see? Well, you can't even see the fact that you yourself are breaking God's law. You're breaking God's law because you want to cling to your traditions. You're experts at keeping your traditions. You're so, you're so polluted in your judgment, which is unrighteous, and that always happens when men decide to measure their own status of judgment instead of utilizing the judgment of God, the Holy Scriptures. But anyway, so they were doing that, and because they were doing that, they were creating all kinds of behavioral delinquencies, such as which would not be honorable to a mother and father, would not be taking care of their mother and father, things like that, right? Well, all of that is taking place over there, of course, but the idea is the contaminant of the Gentile, uh-oh, germ. <laughs> the Gentile germ. You may have talked to a Gentile today. You may have touched something the Gentile has touched today. You're guilty. Better wash your hands. Better wash the pots. Better wash the pitchers. Wash everything. Wash everything. Don't even step next to their sepulchers. Don't even walk near their villages. Don't even wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. And what's so fascinating, and the reason I'm bringing this out, is because, again, in context, there's you, you should do this. It's a good practice. When you read a chapter, read it really slow. I mean, molasses slow. Being slow as molasses while reading the scriptures doesn't make you slow of mind. It actually brings things to a observable model where we can put that under investigation and start to see the information the Holy Spirit is revealing. And if you read the chapter verse after verse, once again going through it, you'll start to see, of course, the wonderful information Jesus is revealing. And it's beautiful how he goes into an account, which you and I are going to go to this evening, regarding a Syrophoenician woman and a deaf man. After having the interaction that he has had with these religious leaders and their law binding because of, well, we don't want any Gentile contamination, he, Jesus, turns around and will be healing Gentiles. Uh-oh. Quite offending, isn't it? Interesting, though. Interesting. You'll see. We're going to get into this now. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 and following. You know what? I just want to open up because I don't see... Let me see. Let me see. I don't see. Let me see. No, let me check something out here just to be sure. We're on it. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're streaming. 
Okay, so in verse 24 of chapter 7, Mark, with the foundation grounded now, we're going to make some sense of this stuff. Hey there, Brandon. Good to see you. Jesus got up, it says, the text says. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. Sidon, right? And when he had entered a house, Jesus entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Seeking some refuge. Huh? To be left alone, perhaps. I mean, he is experiencing humanity. God in flesh, a physical body. He is experiencing, allowing himself to experience humanity in these moments. I mean, these bodies, they get tired. These bodies get hungry, right? There is a uh, biological engineering structured in such a way that our bodies, well, they go through this life experience while submissive to the natural elements of uh, our entourage. And Jesus wanted uh, no one to know that he had entered this house, but yet, you know, you got to understand something. He could not escape notice. He could not escape notice. You and I, we can escape notice. Jesus had a more so difficult time. Well, think about it. Just think about it. There's an individual in the community who is capable of controlling the weather, making whole the lame, curing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, speaking in such a way we've never heard, or weren't tuned in to understand quite immediately, this man has the insight to know the inner thoughts of man in such a way no other has ever produced. Yeah, you're kind of going to be famous and folks are going to be looking for you. I mean, is it... And of course, this all part of the providential path of our Lord and Master to fulfill his ministry through the confirming of his word with miraculous power. I mean, it's understandable that he could not escape notice, but after hearing, and here's where it gets very interesting, but after hearing verse 25 of him, but uh, verse 25, chapter 7, Mark, but after hearing of him, who? Jesus. A woman. A woman? Uh-oh, she's already got a notch. <laughs> she, she's already got a problem. She's already got an added challenge to her account. She's a woman in first century Palestine, <laughs> in the Jewish realm. A Gentile, we're going to see. Oh, man, the notches, the mountains, the hurdles are... Uh, a bit more challenging or a bit more so revealed here but after hearing of him that's an important that's some important information for you and I after hearing of Jesus after she received information regarding this man who had grown in fame whose miraculous powers were being um, throbbed through the arteries of the grapevine. 
You like that? Isn't that fun? But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. She's a woman. She is a desperate mother. And she is filled with emergency. Because her daughter had an unclean spirit. So she immediately came. That's an active outward action of faith. And fell an active outward action of faith at his, whose? Jesus' feet. A reverent, bowed action of worship towards Jesus Christ. And how did that happen? Through hearing. Because once you hear, you have the ability to choose belief. Belief structured and facil facilitated, bloomed into faith, which is trust, produces. Faith is an active action verb in the scriptures. Spite what some false teacher might want to peddle our way. Can't fool us when the Bible makes us wise. So she hears first. Well, naturally. That's how that works. There's a structure and a pattern to it. This is not just a book of uh, happenstance, uh, accidents, and osmosis, nebulous kind of uh, thing. No, it has a structure. It has a way to reveal the recorded accounts witnessed therein. And this woman, among the Jews, hearing of Jesus, she decides to act on this information. She's desperate. I'm a parent. I love my children with my own life. I would gladly discard for their greater good. It's just, it's one of those things in life. You go from me, 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 me to them, 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 them. It's the love of a parent towards a child. If you know of a man in the community, whether he be of a people, a race, a culture that is hostile towards yours, that you might even see as the enemy. When your love for your child is so passionate and strong, you will risk your own well-being. You will deny yourself for the greater good of your son or daughter. And you will put yourself in harm's way in order to have that one chance, that one opportunity, more accurately in words, to have your son or daughter cured, healed. Because you've heard that among the enemies, there is a man who has this power. And so here she is, falling down. Well, not falling, producing an outward action, of course. She came and fell. Well, falling, yeah. Fell down to his feet. Now, verse 26. Stick with it, man. This is good stuff. Really. In verse 26, the woman was a Gentile. She's a Greek. Pagans and heathens and Romans. Oh my! Again, this is just fascinating and powerful. Because remember prior 
to these accounts in the same chapter, verses 1 through verse 23. The religious leaders, the Jews, were held in great offense because Jesus and his disciples would not do according to their laws, which would be to remove all Gentile contaminants. Here we have the account of a Gentile woman before Jesus falling down before him. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's pretty good. So, now the woman, verse 26, was a Gentile. What kind of a Gentile? Various branches, right? Okay, well, she was a Syrophoenician of the of the Syrophoenician race. And she, this Gentile woman, again, she's got a lot of notches, a lot of hurdles. She kept asking Jesus. This is an active continuance. Um, she's asking. It's not a one-time deal. It's a, I have to keep asking and keep asking. She's desperate. She's broken. She's come from a household that had that has death. Her daughter has an unclean spirit. This is death. She has come from a household of death. She has now arrived to a man who could give her life. And she kept asking this man to cast the demon out of her daughter. Kind sir, you who produce life, who speak life, could you please allow us life once again, since we have been in the realm of death. It's desperate. And he, Jesus, in verse 27, was saying to her, this Gentile woman, pay attention now, stick with it, let the children be satisfied first. Priority. Numero uno. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You know, the first time I read that, I was like, that makes no sense whatsoever to me. What, like, what kind of an answer is that? Like, is he even answering her? Like, she's here broken, desperate, pleading for the life of her daughter. That's a humble, submissive posture. A kind, sincere, and genuine heart. And Jesus says, let the children be satisfied first. What does that even mean? For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? What does that even mean? Well, upon, of course, further investigation and study, weeks, months, years, you, of course gain the knowledge of the scripture rightly handled and context of what is actually being said. And he meant what he said, and he said what he meant, and here's what it is. Let the Jews be satisfied first, for it's not good to take from the Jews nourishment and throw it to the Gentiles. Oh, 
<laughs> what do you know? That makes a whole bunch of sense. Now I know what Jesus is getting at. It, Paul said such things in Rome chapter 1, verse 16, the Jew first and then the... You see, the Jews had the law. The Jews had the law. They were to follow the instructions of the law, and they were to know of the prophets' messianic prophecies and the fulfillment of time at this age in which Christ is walking the earth, the Jew, first. And this nourishment, this nourishment. You know, I ha we have a uh, Boston Terrier. It's a, it's, it, it, it's a terrible beast of burden in the house. It's a terrible beast. And it's mischievous, and it's rebellious. And it's always wanting to cause problems. <laughs> but we love the thing. We love the thing, and it protects us, right? It thinks it does anyways. But this beast, this Boston Terrier, which we so properly named Rollo, as a heathen he is, he, in his mind, is always on desperate mode. What desperate mode is he in? Must eat. Food sustains life. No food, death. Food, life. So he'll hover around the table, and the most minute crumb could fall, and sometimes it doesn't even reach the floor. He's got it. He's got it, and he ain't letting it go. His mind is always on food, life. No food, death. But who's being fed first? Aha. Well, my wife and I and the kids. See, we eat first. And then the crumbs that fall, the dog receives and quite a humble posture the dog must have in order to warmly receive that little bitty crumb. But how appreciative he is. I've yet to see the most minute crumb fall and him just look at it with some kind of, nah, that's not good enough for me, buddy. Better throw me the steak. Not at all. Every crumb is warmly received and appreciated. Nourishment, life, even a little bit. You know, if, if our socio-political atmosphere keeps going the way it's going in the Western world, we might soon understand what that very thing means. To appreciate the crumb. Jesus says, let the children be satisfied first. Let the Jews receive this nourishment First, for this nourishment is not to be thrown to the Gentile. I mean, what do you say? She might as well get up and say, you know, it's done. It's over. It's over. Better go home. Should have known. These, these Jews, these Jews should have known. You know, get all grumpy, start murmuring, complaining, feeling defeated, withdrawn secluded, uncertain, doubtful, discouraged, descriptive words that help us understand what's happening. 
She could have easily went that path. Most do. Most of us do. We've all been guilty of that. We shouldn't be, though. We shouldn't be. So she has an answer for Jesus in regards to what he has told her. In verse 28, she says, pay attention. Yes, Lord. Lord is ruler. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs, the Gentiles, under the table, feed on the children's crumbs. Even what is allowed to be heard outside the fold of the Jewish covenant and table can be found and received through the mouth of a Gentile, the ears of a Gentile, the mind of a Gentile, the heart of a Gentile. Whoa. She's not giving up, man. She is not giving up, and such is the desperation of a mother whose child is dying. There has to be hope. I'm not going to give up. I'm a Gentile. I'm a woman. I've made myself... I've, I've, I've put myself among the Jews before this man whose fame she heard first and foremost. She's not going to give up now. She's not going to give up. I can't give up. My daughter. My daughter. I'm not going to do that. So she has an answer for Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, ruler. But even the Gentiles who are not part of the Jewish covenant are nourished by what these Jews drop as crumbs. Isn't that something? And Jesus says to her in verse 29, Jesus says to her in verse 29, because of this answer, the reason you are going to receive the blessing, the healing, life, nourishment, because of what you've said, what you've said. You've had to do something. This woman had to do something. Not only did she hear, but she came and she fell and she asked. Don't try to tell me we do not have independent accountability according to our intellectual capability towards our Lord and Master. If you love me, Keep my commandments. If we want to show Jesus we love him, we must hear, come and fall immediately and ask. Faith is an active word in the scriptures. And this woman's faith allowed Jesus to say, because of this answer, the thing that you have said, he then says, go. Go, he says in verse 29, go. That's an action. He is commanding her to do something. Go. 
the demon, verse 29, has gone out of your daughter. Now imagine the relief. Imagine the joy. Imagine the sheer moment and experience. Here's a desperate mother trying to save the life of her daughter. So much so that she puts herself in harm's way, knowing she is not welcomed among the Jews as a Gentile. But yet she chose to hear, to come and fall before him and to ask him. And not only to ask him, but remain there after what he said. She didn't give up. <laughs> Remember the unrighteous judge over in the Gospel of Luke? Fine. Give her what she wants. She's not going to stop pestering me if I don't anyways. <laughs> of course, Jesus is righteous. And he wants to help. He wants to share this compassion. And he sees, for her benefit, he said what he said. Go, he commands, and the demon has gone out of your daughter. You came from a location of death. Now you will return to a location of life. You were once dead in your transgressions, but you've been born again out of water and the Spirit now to a newness of life. Oh, come on. This is too good. Let's keep going, though. It's not over. Stick with it. Keep your seatbelts on. And going back, verse 30, going back to her home, Look at all these actions. Look at all these actions. Look at all this responsibility upon her individual free will, her accountability. She's hearing. She's, she's come. She's fall. She fell to his feet. She's asking questions. She's commanded to go. She goes back to her home. And she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. the demon having left. What was once death has now been made life. Did this woman have the power to meritoriously earn that life? Can she now boast of her works? Not at all. Not at all. A submissive and humble heart knows that. She simply did what faith does, produce an outward action to receive God's love, his forgiveness, his blessing, life, life. And now we go into the second part. Very fascinating, very wonderful. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre in verse 31. And again, you, you have to remember the context of what's taking place in this chapter with verses 1 through 23. How Jesus was explaining that it's not what goes into your mouth that's the problem. It's what comes out of your heart that's the problem. It's not you speaking to Gentiles or touching Gentiles or having any kind of communication with Gentiles that's the problem. It's the things that you are doing that you are speaking. It's your behavior. It's what's in your mind that's the problem. And then an account is recorded immediately of Jesus ministering to a Gentile woman. She was active as a third party. What for? Her daughter. 
yet still Jesus' love was shown. This is, this is good stuff. It's the Bible, man. I have nothing to do with it, I, I tell you. I'm just the mailman. I'm just reading what it says. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Oh, yeah, sure. The, who, what mythical book speaks in such ways? It's a notable excursion to take down. The reason the language is written in such a way is because of its accuracy. It's historically accurate. It's not a myth. It's not a book of fables and tales. It's a recorded and witnessed account of what took place in the first century. That's why you have this detailed information and defense. You can go back to it. You can look into it. And it holds purpose. The Holy Spirit just didn't get bored one day and say, I have to write something. I better write that. Not at all. Again, Jesus went out from the region of Tyre, a change of geographical location. It takes some sacrifice. It takes some uh, 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 provision and foreplanning. And he came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. And they brought, they brought, in verse 32, to him, to Jesus, one who was deaf, one who was deaf, and uh, spoke with difficulty. The first man or individual I had ever met that was deaf and had a difficulty speaking was a co-worker of my father at the factory up the road across the street, across the, <laughs> across the railroad tracks there where I was born and raised. And in this factory... There was a man who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And please understand, I'm not going to be doing or saying what I'm going to be saying in any mocking way, but it's simply to express to you how it sounded like when I heard this man speak. And I had to ask my father, what's wrong with this man? And then my father explained, he's deaf. He can't hear what he says. So when he tries to communicate with his mouth, he sounds like this. Well... I That's how it sounded. Now, of course, it might sound funny to us, but he can't hear what he's trying to say, so he's speaking with great difficulty. Now, today, in its technology and its ways, many of them have been capable of formulating words, though you can still tell they are deaf. But their words are more crafted in a way that is understandable. But yet, the first individual that I had met, that's how he spoke. And then there was another instance in my life where uh, I was renting an apartment or a room. And one of the roommates uh, had an uncle. And this uncle also was deaf. So he spoke like that. Because he, he couldn't hear what he was saying. So he's deaf and he spoke with difficulty. You and I take this for granted that we can speak words that we hear. Well, this here man that they brought to Jesus was deaf and spoke with difficulty. So that's the illustration in my life experience that I go to regarding this account. And would you believe it? I've been reading the scriptures now for... 
10 plus years. And for the life of me, I had forgotten about this account, which is unique to the Gospel of Mark from verses 31 through 37. Don't stop reading the Bible. I may have just forgotten it, or maybe it's just something that not yet hit me while reading. But it's it fascinated me. I'm like, I, I, even, ta- I even told my wife, I said, I don't remember reading this account. <laughs> Could it be? Again, he went out. Okay, they brought to him uh, one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored Jesus to lay his hand on him. And that's, that's interesting from various perspectives. Some individuals take it perhaps as some kind of jester, right? Let's bring individuals who are difficult to heal to Jesus and see if he can do it. You know, it's on this entertainment purpose. But some were desperately, truly seeking and fascinated by this power that this man had. So they would look for perhaps the most severe case in the community and pluck out the most severe case in the community and say to themselves, if Jesus can heal this man or this woman, he is from God. You know, they'd have that measurement of judgment seeking what would happen? So they take this man who is deaf and has a difficulty to speak, and they implore Jesus to lay his hands on him. The action, of course, that Jesus would touch him. Now Jesus took him aside from the crowd. The crowd can still see, but they are of a distance outside the inner circle of the crowd by himself, of course, and But Jesus puts his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. Now, some translations say with the saliva. I don't know if it belongs there or not. But Jesus took this deaf man who had difficulty speaking. He takes him aside from the crowd no longer within the inner circle of the crowd, but outside the crowd, the crowd, of course, still being able to witness the account. And Jesus puts his fingers into his ears, the location in which, of course, is broken. When a body part is broken, the body is not functioning to its capacity. Oh, come on. You know where I'm going. When there's a member of the church that is broken, the body suffers. It takes healing. It takes a cure and it takes healing for the body to once again be made whole. This man can't hear. He's deaf. Jesus puts his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. Mm. Now, there's debate. There's all kinds of theological, academic word salads that we could engage in. But let's just read it for what it is. Here's this deaf man who has difficulty speaking. And here's Jesus, the source of power, 
who puts his finger in his ears, spits, and touches his tongue. And he sighs, Jesus does. And he said to this man, and I'm not going to pronounce this properly, so don't crucify me, please. If fatha, that means be opened. Let me read it plainly again. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, Jesus says to him, if fatha, that is, be opened. Jesus looking up into heaven with a deep sigh. If fatha, be opened. And his ears were opened, verse 35. And the impediment of his tongue was removed. And he began speaking plainly. Stick with it. Don't go anywhere. Listen to me. Listen to what the scriptures reveal here. The woman, the Syrophoenician woman, had to first hear. She had the ability to hear. Once she heard, her faith was made active. And she became the recipient of life for her daughter. Here's this man. What in priority must be cured first for the body to function well? The ear. What worth would it have been for this man to speak plainly if he yet still could not hear what he spoke? Jesus understood that in order for this member to become productive for his cause, hearing must be renewed. It must be cured. And so, fingers, spitting, tongue, opened, removed, spoke plainly. Spoke plainly. And he gave them orders, verse 36, not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. You cannot stop the fire and passion of an individual who has been released from the shackles of sin. His or her evangelism is strong. It may be immature. It may not yet be well-seasoned and balanced, but it is alive and well and strong and filled with passion. And to be told that I cannot proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ after he took such a Gentile as me, dying in darkness and all iniquity and the extremes of life, and he brought me to life? You say to me I cannot speak of this man? You cannot silent me. 
you'll have to remove me from this earth. And even after you've removed me from this earth, my spirit, the words I spoke, the wind, the words I have spoke while on this earth for my master will live on for his cause. Praise be his name. They were utterly astonished in verse 37, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He first needed to be healed. His ears needed to hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh, come on. This is good stuff. This is real good stuff. And so ends the chapter and the two recorded accounts of Christ's compassion, his love, his willingness to forgive, to heal. It's just powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. For this woman, she needed to hear, she needed to come and fall down before him and ask him, and once he said what he said, she proceeded to say more, and she needed to go, and she went back, and she did what she had to do to receive life. The individual who was deaf had friends or someone who cared enough to bring him to Jesus. Whether it be good reasons or bad reasons, it don't matter, the man can hear, and he spoke plainly. Something needed to take place. Fingers and spitting and tongue opened and removed and speaking plainly. Things needed to be said and things needed to be done. And for you and I this day, this hour, reading this account, we can also trust in Jesus Christ after hearing that He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ and that he most certainly is king over his kingdom. His kingdom was birthed from the mind of God from the beginning, prophesied by the prophets of old, promised by the Christ, purchased by his blood, and it must be practiced by our faith. This kingdom was established, its doors open for legal citizenry in the first century. Jerusalem. It came with great outpouring power from the Holy Spirit upon the twelve chosen vessels, the apostles who stood up among the people and proclaimed the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ. And all who heard and warmly received those words obeyed the message. Repent. Repent. Change your mind. And let every one of you be immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, buried, clothed. We call on the name of our Lord, His authority, and we are born again. You can read of all of that during the reign of the Roman Empire. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. It's very simple. We have nothing to meritoriously earn. We have nothing to boast about. We simply find ourselves desperate as this woman, deaf as this man, fallen and lost as a Gentile. And we want to be made Christians 
You know, that's the family name. If you're born in my family, you receive my name, Maye. That's my family name. My children are Maye's. But if you want to be a child of God, you must be born in his family, and you will receive his family name, Christian. And that happens when you qualify to the conditions that he set forth. And if you qualify as a repentant believer, confessing him as your ruler, your master, your Lord, you can submit yourself, humbly so, in a passive way, to being immersed into his body, his church, his called out ones, his congregation, his assembly. Friends, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a peaceful and comforting life. It's still filled with challenges and sacrifice, ups and downs, lefts and rights. But to be saved is truly peaceful. To know we can be with our master one day. It's truly peaceful. Truly. All right, my dear friends, I most certainly appreciate your kind attention. Hopefully some of this information has substance to benefit your spiritual walk on this earth. By all means, share it far and wide. Again, I am most thankful to our brother Andre Moore, who created this group for gospel efforts in Oakleaf. And we will certainly pray that it will continue to grow for the purpose of the gospel. I am certainly most joyful to contribute to this effort as best I can. And you all make my day more encouraging. Stay focused. Stay positive. Lord willing, we'll see each other again soon. God bless.